Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi, everyone. Today, we have a wonderful podcast with Becky Shuttleworth. She's a canine communicator. She takes those really hard-to-place dogs and helps them live a better life, either staying with her because sometimes they're just so traumatized and anxious that they can't really move on to a new home, or she tries to help people um, take one and works with them for the life of the dog. Uh, and she also does one-on-one -on -one consultation with people who have issues with their dogs based on anxiety, based on triggers, uh, based on anything that makes the dog um, aggressive or combative. She's just wonderful. You will love this program. I was just thrilled with the holistic method she uses to really get a handle on what the root cause of the issue with the dog is and how she works through it. So join me now for Becky Shuttleworth, the canine communicator, and how she helps dogs that have issues live a better life. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm here with Becky Shuttleworth. She is from the UK and she is part of and runs canine um, communication. Becky? Oh, I'm a canine communication specialist. Canine communication uh, yeah. specialist. I yeah. am so glad she's here. We had such a great conversation. And so Becky has a number of dogs that she brings in to try to help facilitate uh, if not their better life um, with someone else, they stay with Becky. So without further ado, I am so lucky to have you here today with us, Becky. And of course, the first question is, why do pets matter to you? Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, for me, one of the biggest things with, it's more my dogs. I mean, I love animals in general. We've got sheep, we've got goats, we've got chickens, cats, we've got everything here. Um, but it's dogs that are my life, really. Um, and I mean, it started growing up. My granddad had dogs. My whole family had dogs. And I sort of fell in love with them there. But when I lost my nan, they became my lifeline. So I hit depression and anxiety really, really bad. Um, and it, it got to a point in the end where I, I did sort of have an attempt on my own life. Um, and it was only the dogs and having them and helping them. Um, it was the reason I didn't go through with it was because I thought, my God, who's going to look after my dogs? Yeah. You know, that was my, that was my thought. And I was like, I can't do this. Like that I've got to look after my dogs. So for me, I owe them a lot. They got me, they, they helping them got me out of that dark place. 
um, and learning the things that I use now to help them is what actually got me off of my anxiety and depression medication. Um, so I, for me, it's you've got all the basic things like the love they give and the companionship and everything else. But for me, it goes a lot deeper. I owe dogs my life, really. And that's that's what I intend to give them. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I think before COVID, people probably weren't as aware mm. of how much their pets kept them on an even keel. We, mm. we sort of took them for granted. Uh, and then during COVID, I think all of us recognized how important it was to have a pet in our lives to keep us going forward. You, of course, knew that before because they had helped you move forward and grounded you when things were really, really, really tough. Uh, but God, it is, you know, why are they important to us? Because they just simply make sure that we understand we are valuable, we are loved, mm -hmm. and we can be loved by them. Yeah, I mean, they don't they don't ask anything for, from you. Um, and I know that seems strange when you know you feed them and you give them the vet visits and, and the money it costs you. Um, but care if you're broke or whether you're rich. They don't care where you're living. They don't care if you're eating a tin of beans for dinner or what you look like, what you smell like. They, they, they just don't care, you know. And you, you can have the worst week of your life. And they love you just as much as they do when you've had the best week of your life. Um, I mean, they pick up on your emotional energy. So when you when you're in bad mood and it's been a rough week, and yeah, okay, their demeanor's a bit different, um, but they don't love you any less, and they don't hold it against you. That's the thing. No, they're not. The dog's never going to come back to you and say to you, "Yo, you shouted at me that day, and it, I didn't do anything wrong." <laughs> like a human would, you know. Yeah, so I think, yeah, for me, I think that's that's one of the biggest things about dogs. And it was it's interesting you said that their demeanor changes with the way in which they interact with us, given how we feel, because sometimes they're incredibly exuberant and happy and we're ready for that. And then sometimes, especially if we're not feeling well or we're having a bad day, they pick up on that. They're so intuitive and they give you what you need at the time you need it. Yeah, they've got the biggest heart body mass of any mammal. So in relation to their body, their heart is, is a lot bigger than sort of ours is. So they pick up a lot quicker on the electromagnetic field that the heart gives out. So you can trick anybody. You can put a smile on your face. I mean, I used to work in retail and I used to stand at those warehouse doors, take a deep breath, put a smile on my face, walk into that shop floor and I could fool anybody and I could just chat to people and, and that was fine. But you can't do that with a dog. They know exactly how you're feeling every second of every day um and that's why for me I have that's what got me out of my depression and my anxiety because I had to keep my emotional levels low in order to help them so when they, they pick up every every second of every day they pick up on your emotional um frequencies so they know when you're happy when you're sad when you're angry anything that's gone on through your day you can put a smile on your face when you walk in and be happy with your kids and be happy with your husband and feel like you're dying inside but your dog knows how you're how you're feeling inside it's the reason that when I've had a bad day I will sit outside and I will calm my emotional energy before I walk in the house because otherwise my dogs are picking up on that and it's not fair on them um, it's also the why working with them got me off of my antidepressants because I had to keep my moods happy not so much happy but 
calm and relaxed and I had to get myself in the right emotional state to make the dog's lives the best they can be because if I'm depressed and down all the time then of course they feel nervous anxious unsafe worried and then the behaviors start to creep in so for me it was a big thing about keeping or I still do try and keep the emotional level as, as calm as possible in the house so that the dogs can can relax fully and that's amazing, you know, for us to understand that when we are working with dogs, because you work with a number of dogs that have been um, needing rehoming, so to speak, mm. you know, someone dropped them off. Um, so tell me a little bit about what the animal, uh, the canine communication piece of your work, how it started and how it helps you and helps them. I mean, we've, mm. we've talked about how it helped you through a very difficult time, but it started way back when, because when we talked together, it started a while ago and, and you really have um, added to your family with the mm. pets and they are really not going anywhere unless, you know, an incredible home goes somewhere because these are sort of animals that have had a really difficult time being placed. Yeah, I mean, I, I started as a behaviorist back in 2008 um, and I, I loved working with the dogs and I loved helping, but I used to find that I got the the bite, the dogs would bite history. Um, and then because obviously it's not down to me to fix the dog, it's down to me to teach the human to fix, like say fix the dog. I hate that phrase, but in, you know what I mean. Um, and when you give them the, this is what you need to do and this and leave them with their plans of action and everything like that, they either do it or they don't and if they don't the behavior doesn't improve so for me I used to get the calls saying do you know what? we just can't do this it's not working with our family we just can't do it we thanks for your help but we're going to get rid of the dog and then I knew that if that dog went into a rescue with its bite history there wasn't a lot going to be done with it you know I mean times have changed now and I know there's a lot of rescues out there that will work with that and we'll work with professionals and we'll get but we're talking 11 12 years ago when it just didn't happen um i mean we're talking like rubber hands in bowls and if the dog bit they were put to sleep you know it, it was that sort of thing so i'd take them in and i'd say well i'll rehabilitate them but then they never got rehomed because i didn't have an avenue to rehome them so then i decided when we got up to like 10 dogs and we just couldn't i was like I'm not taking any more dogs but what i will do is i'll foster for rescues and then i can rehabilitate and they'll have the avenue to rehome um the problem with that is that as soon as you then get involved with these rescues you get the really difficult ones so you get the ones that it's not a case of taking the ones that are easy to rehome because they can go straight off and be rehomed anyway i'm talking i've got ones that were so severely traumatized that it took me nine months to be able to touch them you know ones that would scream every time they saw a human because they thought they were going to be abused um I've got one here now that we don't even know what his history is, but he's so aggressive with the other dogs that he has to be sort of managed, micromanaged, if you like. Um, and you have to sort of work him around the other dogs and he can only be in with them if I'm there giving it my full attention because like we just had a knock on the door and all the dogs were barking. He would have just turned and attacked one of the other dogs as soon as the energy goes up. So it has to be he can be in with them but only at times when I know I can 100% keep the energy low um 
So obviously that's another thing that I'm now working on. And because of the deep set issues, I mean, not one of ours that we've got here has come to us without either a health or a behavioural issue. And we're not talking just toilet training or, you know, can't walk on a lead. We're talking aggression towards other dogs, aggression towards people, aggression towards cats. You know, they, they do a lot of harm. Um, so we've ended up sort of working on them, past traumas as well. And we've ended up working with them. And at one point we had 22 dogs and that we'd actually said, right, we're going to keep these dogs. Um, but over the last few years, the oldies have, have passed away and we, we're now down to, with Odin, our foster, we've got 19 in the house at the moment. Um, and we have got, I mean, I've got, I've got two 18-year-old Jack Russells, a 16-year-old Shepherd, you know, they're, they're getting on a little bit less. And so we will, we will be down a few more in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's just, I love it. I mean, when I look around the room and I just think there's... 18 dogs in this room right now as you can hear there's 18 dogs in this room right now and they you know 90 percent of them couldn't be with other animals and you just think it's amazing that you've been able to read them like you have the one dog that just mm -hmm. came we spoke about this before we got on mm -hmm. that, that needs that special attention right now and then we're going to matriculate them into these 19 dogs where, as you said, somebody delivered and somebody's delivering something to my house now, so we have the banking, um, it, that we see that they all were together. And you're right, when the doorbell rings, that's when you really have to be aware of the energy because mm. it is whether or not they understand what the deal is. And, mm. and it you really have to make sure that they are able to um, no, it's not the guy next to them. Uh, so it's, it's such a, a craft for you to be able to communicate with these animals, um, keep them, be able to keep them with the, uh, the sheep and the um, chickens and everything else that they are there. Because I think some of them may often also come with prey drive issues. So the little Jack Russell might be in a little bit of danger with the big shepherd or something who might have a prey drive and so that's another piece of <laughs> it's actually the other way around the jack russell will attack the other dogs yeah because we've it got the chickens how those jack russells do that right because <laughs> we've got the chickens and the ducks in the they're at the bottom of our garden um and you see like the odd rat running backwards and forwards as much as we try and keep them keep them down you get the odd vermin yeah. um and obviously I've got, I've got three terriers that are nice little ratters and they, I mean, we've not, we've not taught them. They've just, you know, well, it's, it's a fun game to chase them. the rats and it's, it's okay. their natural instinct. Um, but honestly, when they can't get that rat and one of the other dogs gets in the way, like when the rat just escapes them and the, and the other dogs do get told, the other dogs, <laughs> my, my poor shepherd goes through it sometimes. He's standing there quite happily just having a sniff. And Paddy can't catch the rat and he just suddenly turns on the shepherd and I have to shout quickly out the door like to, to drill it down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is, it's, it's the Jacks. <laughs> They're the worst ones. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, um, you started with um, being in, in rescues and you're mm -hmm. helping rescues now, but you've got this large number of dogs living together peacefully who when they arrived at your house, weren't necessarily um, able to, to matriculate safely with other dogs or matriculate safely with people. And yet you've taken the time 
to not only enable them to have a great life with you, but to have a great life with people who come in the house and with people with other dogs. That's that's just amazing. I think most of it is just understanding them. So, I mean, as I say, I, I started as a general behaviorist and I, I learned about dog behavior and I, I went in with the general behavior techniques, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and was trying to train these dogs out of these issues. Um, and then I found sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes you'd start training and you'd get other issues coming in. Um, and it was quite, at the time, it was quite a headache and it was a bit like, oh God, what the hell am I? And so I'd be sitting in the kitchen, like with my head in my hands, crying, going, what the hell have I done? So like, what have I taken on now? Why the hell am I doing this? Um, and then I just suddenly sat there. We had a little Jack Russell cross Chihuahua. We still got him actually, uh, Chelsea. And he he was a biter and he was sent to me because he bit his owners. He was being put to sleep at a year old. And I brought oh. him home. Yeah. I mean, I brought him home and he's, I mean, he's broken bones. He, he really went to town on me. He's broken every finger in my right hand. He broke my left hand. He broke my, at, at one point I was like, trying to let people in the door and he was going mental at the gate because we've got dog gates everywhere and I had my trainer on and I just went to block him with my foot and he grabbed my foot shook the life out of it and he broke the bones in my foot oh god so he he was really bad for quite a few years and nothing I did really worked um and I was sitting there looking at him one day thinking like can I really help this dog you know uh, am I right in saying that every dog can be helped or are there some that can't um and then I just suddenly dawned on me that actually he's got anxiety issues he's got anger issues because I used to say oh he's got a problem with authority but he had anger issues he he was terrified of a lead he had a fear of leads um and he had severe anxiety and I just thought hang on a minute I've got anxiety and no one's training that out of me I'm terrified of spiders no one's training that yeah um and I started thinking about what we would go through if we had you know we needed anger management or we needed help with anxiety or any other emotional condition and we see a therapist we don't just go and say to someone train this out of me like make me behave the way a human's meant to behave because it doesn't work like that and we never treat children like that they go and see specialist people and they get specialist help yet with our dogs we still very much oh, you can't behave like that. We must train it out of you. And so, use, And use tough um, means to do that because yeah. you just think, well, I'm bigger and I'm stronger. And, you know, we, we often say with Irish setters, you have a six month window when they're baby mm-hmm. to have them understand what you want them to do with you. Mm-hmm. So you had a dog who was a year old who presumably no one told him how to be, and maybe he was born a little different, but no one ever gently guided him to, this is the path we'd like you to take, not this. No, just caused him more fear and anxiety. You know, there's a reason he was scared of a lead. There was a reason that he had anxiety and he had an issue with authority. And it's from seeing the home and seeing his setup and seeing the way he was and the things they were saying about the way they were trying to teach him not to do it, a lot of it was to do with the, the techniques they've been using. Yeah. Um, so f- I then started looking and thinking, right, well, what would we have then? If that was us, what would we have? Um, and I found things like hypnotherapy, um, Reiki, 
animal communication. I use essential oils, flower essences, all the things that we would go and, and, and see. And I thought, right, okay, well, I'll start using those on the dogs. And I'll be honest, I've used those techniques on every dog that's come in the house now. And it really helps to keep their emotion, help, it helps them to ground and release their emotional energy and keep their emotions calmer. But again, it's still only techniques that support. It doesn't fix a behavior. Um, and I spent a lot, lot, long time trying to work out, well, hang on a minute, this, this is working, but why is it working? And I was going around other people's houses, using these techniques on their dogs, and then a week, two weeks later, they're ringing and needing me back again. And it's not, it wasn't maintaining it. So I was thinking, well, what am I doing in my home then that they're not doing in their home? Um, and it all came down to the fact that I use the communication to get to the root cause. And then I change the root cause. So I use the techniques to support the dog and help them and relax and release their emotional energy. But the whole time I'm working on the reason why that emotional energy is building up. Whereas when I'm just going and working on someone else's dog, they're not working on that. Yeah. So now I mentor them. So instead of going and seeing their dog, we do everything online. I communicate with their dog. I teach them the techniques and they have to do the work on themselves and their home environment as well as, as helping the dog. And how does that work for you? Because I know when, um, people get dogs, some dog owners want to buy the dog and have really nothing to do with the person they bought it from. And that suits some people really well because they're really only in it to get the $500 or $5,000 if you're buying a doodle type of dog. Um, and they want to be left alone to raise it as it needs. But as you've just pointed out in your practice, the, the things that you don't know you're doing when you're doing it that create the fear or anxiety in the dog that may or may not have been in there before, um, or maybe you triggered something that was in there. Uh, it, is, it is so important to um, communicate with the people who take the dogs home, whether it's from rescue or it's from a breeder or it's from a shelter and, and help them understand. I love that you said, and I work with the people because quite frankly, you coming in to fix the dog will fix the dog while you're there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was finding. I mean, that's the reason most of these have stayed because I don't trust people to follow what, what I say and to stay in touch. And these are and harder to, cases that you have that are staying. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and I know calls, that, you know, and isn't getting rid of the dog and is willing to work with you, then that's great. But the yeah, I mean, we've, we've rehomed several dogs. Um, and I always say that they're either rehomed, they're rehomed because we found the right home or they're rehomed because they don't fit well in a pack environment. And that's not that they're nasty or it's a behavior we haven't got them over. It's just the fact that, you know, they, you look at them and you just know they're not happy. Miserable, right. Yeah. And they, they want that one-on-one -on -one attention all the time. And they want that, they, they want to be the center of someone's life. I mean, mine are quite happy. Mine go crazy because I split them during the day when I'm out and I have like some in this room, some in that room, some in another room. And when I let them all back together, when I get up, they go, they don't care about me. They go crazy to see each other, you know, and they, this lot love being in this pack, but there are the dogs that come in. We had a spaniel before we took this foster on 
and he just literally he he wanted to get he'd sit in a corner as far away from the dogs as possible and it it wasn't fear he would mingle with them but it was just like right, i've had enough now i just want my own space yeah um, and we all know about that as humans we do need downtime <laughs> yeah and um and there's i mean there was another one that she she was she'd play with the others and she loved the others but she'd then go and sit at the gate and say like as if say like can i just go on my own and she'd go and lay down the hallway on her own and and it was just like do you know what i think these dogs need need yeah. their own home um but it's really hard to find those homes that are gonna then work with them the way we want them to and stay in touch and i need to be 100 percent sure i've already spoken to the rescue about the foster now and said i don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna do because i think you're looking for like unicorn dust <laughs> with the home you need for him right now um, when he's nowhere near ready to go to a home anyway yeah. um i said but really it needs to be a home that we 100 know is going to follow the guidance because any slip back and this dog's being put to sleep oh no you know he's he well he's a he's a dog to bulldog cross american bulldog oh so he looks like a pit bull um which are that's already a strike against him yeah already illegal in the uk anyway if you're a pit bull um so he would only need to bite someone or attack a dog or you know do something and it get reported and the police would literally take them off and to a kennel and assess him and that on their own um and you know if they if they deem that he's got pit bull traits he'd be put to sleep yeah. so it's it's just that it, it's that horrible dilemma then yep. um so yeah i don't know how what to keep him do. safe and how to keep people safe because yeah. You know, that's something that I think was brilliant about what we were talking about. You work with animals so that we keep the animals safe. You find that root cause of why mm -hmm. they have anxiety um, or um, triggering of all sorts by leashes or by gates or by just, you know, humans maybe or other dogs. So you identify what their um, root cause is, you work with them, and then it's got to be, as you said, that unicorn in the dust, the unicorn dust sprinkled on someone who will be able to understand that you can take this dog out, but you need to always understand the limitations of mm -hmm. this dog. Yeah, um, he's always got to be muzzled. He, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying he would forever have to be muzzled. He's 18 months old. I'm hoping by the time we find him a home and he's ready for that, I've got him over most of it. But for me, this isn't like, like me with my anxiety and my depression. It's not gone. I don't think anyone that is a mental health issue can ever say that they're completely over that. You know, there will always be down days. There will always be something that triggers it and makes you just sink back in, even if it's just for half half a second, you know. Um, and our dogs are no different. When they've got these, he's reacting out through an emotional response he's not acting out because he's a bad dog or because he's been trained to do this he's feeling a certain way about the situation he's usually over excitement and adrenaline it, that builds up um and that's triggering his his reactive personality so then he's attacking the other dogs or he, and he turns on us so he doesn't just attack the other dogs when we then try to move him out of the way and, and calm things down he turns on us so you know, yes, we can get into a certain level. Yes, we can work with the owner to keep calm, to keep peace, to to stop that over excitement and over arousal from happening. 
but then you go to a park and there's five six dogs running off lead chasing a ball and he starts to get a little bit too excited and you don't know how to manage that he's gonna turn yeah no or you let him off lead because you know he's fine and you've let him off lead and he starts running with these other dogs and the excitement builds up or another dog starts on him because they're not in the same situation as he is it'll trigger him and he'll just react to it and his way of reacting is the way he reacts now yeah so it's not a case of you know that this is the thing with behavior it's not a case of fixing behavior it's about understanding the emotions that the dog's feeling behind the behavior and how you can support them and manage that so they don't need to behave the way they do but it doesn't sorry it doesn't mean they're never going to be triggered again right and that's that's the issue we find in them at home is that i know how i can keep it low and i know every every dog i take out of this house i know what i need to do on a walk i know if this situation arises this is what i need to do and if if i'm ever faced with a situation that i hadn't thought of then I'm pretty good at thinking on my feet and going, right, okay, right, I need to get the dog. And I'm very good at thinking of dog first, me second. Right. right. Um, so from that point of view, is he ever going to go out without a muzzle? I don't know. But you've got to trust someone to, to put, not put him in that situation where he could be triggered, could attack, and could lead to him being put to sleep. So that's such great advice because, you know, we all want, to, to enable the dogs in our lives to be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. And also to recognize that the things they've lived that we may or may not know, especially with rescue dogs, we may or may not know what their past was. I mean, sometimes it is, it is better to be proactive, always wear a muzzle, buy one of the flowered muzzles, you know, uh, paint on it, whatever. So it's nice and cheery. But well, always- my granddad cut a hole in a muzzle once, like a post box so he could post the treats through. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what you do because you know, if the dogs don't see it as a punishment, if it's always something that they get a treat when they put it on, they get a treat when they take it off, they they know it's a it's something that is not a punishment. Like when you pick up the leash, except for some dogs, uh, it's always, oh, we're going for a walk, yippee, great. So that would be a fun. dog doesn't think of it as a punishment anyway. So it's not oh, it's, as long as you've done the muzzle training, so they right. see it as a good thing. They don't see it as a punishment anyway, but it's our feeling about putting the muzzle on the dog. We feel guilty. We we don't like doing it. It ups and they pick up on that emotional change as soon right. as we put the muzzle on. So it's that emotional energy we're giving off that they associate the muzzle with. So when I say to people, use a muzzle, I always say to them, don't think of it as you're doing it because the dog could be naughty. I tell them to use a muzzle because as soon as they put that muzzle on, they automatically know that that dog can't bite somebody. Right. And everybody and, say, and that, that takes the anxiety away from the owner. Right. So I always just say to them, think of it as a good thing all the way around that that dog is wearing a muzzle because your anxiety levels are lower. You're not worrying about them biting someone and you can both enjoy your walk more. Right. Just it's, it's sort of like having a beautiful flowered um, leash on them with this little accoutrement and you're absolutely right if we can change the energy we use not like oh my god i gotta put the muzzle on because god forbid but rather this is wonderful i have um a device that will make our walk safer for my dog Mm -hmm. and it's such a different mindset and then the dog picks up on that different mindset and so it's not really worrying or wondering 
you know, why, it, and it can't really tell that it's different. So it's stupid to think, I mean, they are very intuitive, but mm -hmm. anthropomorphizing them is a little beyond because they really do have the feelings we have. They do have the responses and the triggers that we have. However, we can't identify them as well um, and they can't identify them as well. And they live in a world where they just love us and trust mm -hmm. us. And if we're doing what's best for them with that energy coming from us when we're doing it, it's so important. And I think that's what you pointed out. One of the biggest things for me doing the communications is that it just has proven to me that these are emotional beings. They they feel the things we feel. They react to their emotional. We, we, we react. We, we cry when we're sad. We scream and shout when we're angry. We jump for joy when we're happy, you know. But they react and their reactions are usually mouth and poor orientated. So whether that's vocalization or whether that's biting or digging or scratching at you or whatever that is, it's usually behavior that we don't like very much. Right. But it's just their reaction to how they're feeling at that time. The, the difference between us and them is that I've, I've found through the communication is that they don't really have that thought process. Right. They don't, whereas we can go, I feel sad, I can control that. They can't do that. The emotions override any thought process they have and that is literally the riding factor of what they do. That's why you can have the best trained dog, but as soon as it's overreacting to something, you it, you can't give it any commands or get through to right. it because the brain isn't thinking. It's almost like having that hysterical person or that toddler in the supermarket. That's basically where you're at with your dog when it's when it's I to say like throwing its tantrum in the middle of the park at another dog. It just can't think to listen and it can be spontaneous i think mm -hmm. becky right there are times when dogs are so beautifully trained you know they go mm -hmm. down and they sit and they come and everything else and someone said to me why do you always walk your dog with a leash from the car to the house i said he only doesn't he only doesn't have to listen to me once mm -hmm. and that might be a tragedy so it's easy to just snap on his leash walk him mm -hmm. to the house where it's not fenced um, put him in the house and then let him out the backyard where it's fenced. And mm -hmm. people say, well, that's ridiculous. He comes every time you call. And you know what? He has He's come. only got to see that one cat. Oh, or a rabbit. Yes. I drove yeah. in this morning and there was a rabbit in the garden. And I went, because the dogs are at a kennel because I'm traveling um, over the weekend. And I said, boy, if Junie was here, he would be hot footing mm -hmm. you out of uh, our garden. And mm -hmm. it, it's it's just that you have to understand as an owner and you've done a beautiful job um, helping these dogs live a phenomenal life, uh, given what they've experienced before they got to you, and now working with them, understanding them, and then helping them live their best life going forward. So I'm I'm so grateful. I mean, these these half hours go so fast. I swear to God, I'm so grateful you were here. It's phenomenal that you're a behaviorist that focuses on canine communication with the canine, and then canine communication with possible foster owners or possible owners, because it makes so much of a difference. Now, if people want to get your help, let them know where you are in the UK. Um, if they want to call you or if you want to do consults, let them know how they can get in touch with you. So, yeah, so I work, I work worldwide because I do it all online now. So that's the, that's the beauty of not having to go and see the dog and doing consults is that I can help anyone anywhere now. You can follow me on Facebook. I put, if you want to see my pack, my private Facebook page is covered in in stuff with my pack um but yeah I mean everything's done online via zoom consults everything's recorded so you get all your recordings 
and you can watch it back. And I'm just this year, by the end of this year, I'll have a membership site set up because again, for me, I want to be there to help support people throughout their dog's life. But whenever their dog gets triggered and they're like pulling their hair out, I want them to be able to come to me and say, Beck, like this happened today. What can you explain why? Because that's what I do best is I explain to people and I help them see everything from the dog's point of view. So they can look at it from there. And and for me, I need to be able to do that throughout the dog's life, not just for an hour's consult here and then never see them again. Yeah. So yeah, we, we're setting that up by the, hopefully by the end of this year. Um, Becky, yeah. thank you so much for being here. It's Becky Shuttleworth and please find her on Facebook and also look for her. Until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton ADR. And I look forward to seeing you next time. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.